I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. So we welcome back a returning special guest host this week, all the way from Canada, one of the hosts of the This Hour Has Five Stars podcast. God Till is here. How are you doing this evening? Stephen, doing well, you know, flying into tackles, straight out of the traps here. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, no technical <laughs> At, at all at the start, <laughs> so it's exactly what you want in podcasting. Um, Smooth so and professional, much like I run my own show. That's the only way to do it. So, as has become customary in these odd times, how are things where you are at the moment? Oh, things are okay. Like, in terms of, like, the town I live in, Kingston, is, uh, you know, we had another day with no new cases. We've been lucky enough not to have any deaths locally yet. Um, so, like, we've, we're doing really well. We're really fortunate. Uh, so... Yeah, things are good. Um, you know, my partner and I are both fortunate we can work from home, so things are okay here. How are things uh, where you are? Um, yeah, not ideal. I mean, we uh, we are. I mean, where I'm living, I'm, I'm quite lucky because we're on the outskirts of London, so it's not it's not so bad. And we've got some green space and stuff. Um, yeah. But actually, town. I think we we're, we're recording this on Tuesday for, for release on Friday, but I think we've just overtaken Italy as the worst number of deaths in Europe at the moment. So. It's not exactly a um, sort of European leader thing that we'd actually really quite like here. So it's um, it's pretty awful. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know what can you do. My partner and I are lucky enough in that we can pretty much work at home as well. So it's it's just it's just kind of one of those one of those things that you just just try and crack on. But I I think the thing that I'm struggling with is the the fact that there's not really any end in sight. I think to it is is the thing yeah. that's a bit difficult. Um, one thing I've asked, I asked the guest I had on last week is, have you taken clippers to your own hair yet, if there's no hairdressers <laughs> out? Open? Have you decided to grow it long? Oh, I'm growing along. It's lustrous. It's going to be, you know, I'm going to look like Ric Flair over here, you know, <laughs> mid to late 80s, just with a mane. Uh, or Jimmy Valiant even, get a beard going. No, yeah, I haven't. I got my hair cut like two days before everything kicked off here. So that's kind of holding steady for me for now, but it is starting to get pretty long. What about you? Have you uh, have you done the head shave at home? Or? Yeah, my wife assumed that um, she would be excellent in the hairdressing, um, but but when she wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, the clippers we bought, um, which are now sold out on Amazon, so I suspect a lot of other people have had this problem. The actual little thing that was on it to change like the grading of the haircut was terrible, um, and it just ripped your hair out, and it looked it looked so awful. But then we we took that off and found some other ones. But I had to go grade two, and I was quite disturbed with how bald I was underneath, sort of the hiding of it, of combing it in certain ways and pushing it over balding spots etc so yeah it was quite a it was quite a shock but it's starting to grow back a bit now and i had to actually trim it myself the other day so that's two diy haircuts since uh since the start here um so how much wrestling have you been watching because we last spoke i think just before just before this all sort of broke down really in europe so how, how much wrestling have you been watching in terms of actual current stuff since this all happened a little bit of the current stuff, uh, you know, I've been watching, a, I, I, honestly, not much of WWE, although I did watch a couple matches from WrestleMania, mm. um, and so uh, I've been watching a fair amount of AEW and uh, watching a bunch of old stuff. We had my dad staying with me for like six weeks, and uh, he just got moved into his new place in my hometown uh, last week, but... One thing that was good while he was here was that uh, he watched quite a bit of wrestling with me, and he had never oh, really right. been a wrestling fan, and he got pretty into it. And then speaking of, like, self-grooming-type uh, you know, accidents, 
one night we watched WrestleMania 13 together with the classic like Bret Hart against Stone Cold match with you know Stone Cold bleeding everywhere. There used to be the shot at the start of WrestleMania. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the next morning, my dad decided he was going to shave his beard off by himself. He had a pretty decent <laughs> beard, and he like massacred himself, and his whole face got all bloody. And he came out, and I, I was like shocked. I didn't even know he was shaving. And he's all bloody, and he just looks at me and goes, I look like that Stone Cold fellow. <laughs> so, yeah, I've never been a wrestling. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I stayed up for the first night of WrestleMania, and I was so just disgusted, horrified, every negative adjective you can possibly come across with The uh, Undertaker versus um, AJ Styles thing. I don't want to call it yeah. a match. The internet loved. Uh, I hated. Um, but did the internet love that? I thought people shit all over that. Eighty percent positive, twenty percent negative. And then the next night, the Cena Bray Wyatt thing, I think, was probably about ninety percent negative. But I actually didn't mind it. The only thing, I, the only thing I had a problem with that one. I, I likened that little WhatsApp group of sort of wrestling friends, and I said that I, it was a bit like watching one of your friends who has just had way too much to drink, just completely off his face, and he's somewhat entertaining but actually doesn't make any sense and that was what Cena and White was I felt for anyone that bought the pay-per-view on the strength of that being a match because that obviously wasn't explained that it was going to be like that um but yeah I just I don't know watching that AJ Styles thing and Undertaker sort of teleporting from the grave to um behind him. <laughs> I think it's like 4 20 a.m in the morning I, I can't I, I think this might be the last time I've watched WWE and actually to be honest if I didn't need the network for this podcast occasionally i probably would have cancelled it after that so um yeah it's uh it wasn't very very good i think AEW have done it relatively well but i am a bit sick of empty re- arena matches yeah so empty arena wrestling i'm just i can't give it now i'm not sure there's anything more i can i can take of it rich yeah, it gets old. It absolutely gets old. I mean, obviously the crowd is so crucial to pro wrestling. I didn't. I have enjoyed the AEW I've seen. I really like Britt Baker as a heel. I think that's yes. That's a much. It's kind of a Kurt Angle thing where like she was supposed to be this like all American type baby face, and she's just kind of smarmy and annoying. And if she just embraces that and is a heel, then it's a great character. And and I I just. I really enjoy seeing Jake back and, and the work he's doing as a manager. So yeah, I, I've enjoyed what I've seen, but yeah, yeah, uh, I nice think to have and to have fans back, and with you know the U.S. and what they're trying to push on people. I mean, the, you know, they might have everything open again in two weeks anyway. So. It just seems a bit crazy, isn't it? I think I think obviously very different from. I, I guess has, does Canada work the same way in terms of province by province, or is your prime minister or, or the government kind of in, in control of the whole thing rather than a state by state situation like it is in the states? Oh, Stephen, I mean, this is this is uh, you know like the 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 the. the, the question dear to every Canadian's heart is it a federal or provincial responsibility you know this, mm. this is our jam right here <laughs> uh, so basically um, you know there is a federal kind of umbrella type thing and uh, you know we have a national minister a national public health officer and a national ministry of health but mostly uh, in terms of day-to-day operations and stuff it's being handled at the provincial level so provinces are starting to reopen at various rates uh, there's some smaller provinces that have had that have basically totally stabilized and haven't had new cases for a little while. They're starting to reopen. There's Quebec, which is the big province next to my province, Ontario, which is roughly the same size, but is doing worse in terms of numbers than Ontario, but is reopening faster. Um, but there's a lot less like friction between 
you know, in the U.S., I think there's a lot of gaps and friction between the states and the, and, and the federal government, uh, you know, what response there is from the federal government. Whereas yeah. in Canada, it, there seems like there's a lot more um, coordination between the provinces and the federal government. I mean, it is difficult. I mean, I, I suppose we are kind of a small, very small island, but quite a populated one. And I think that the challenge yeah. for a city somewhere, like the challenge in New York is going to be very different to, you know, a very spacious city in Texas, say, for example, where actually there's a lot of space and actually you can stay away from people and it's very, very different. Um, and I suppose that, that, that probably does complicate it state by state. But, um, yeah, I just, I just think, and I know Vincent Mann said it, a couple of weeks ago um and he certainly painted himself in in real glory during this time with cutting half the roster of a, roster of his company when he doesn't need to and he's making gonna have the most profitable year in his, in his entire history um, but really showing his true colors in this but i think he said that actually when i mean i don't know about you but if, if someone said tomorrow well, actually you know we've got the on our death rate i think today was 600 and something and it hasn't yeah. been lower than 250 since since maybe six weeks ago so actually if someone said to me now um, oh actually there's you know we're, we've got it down to you know a bit more manageable level we've got a wrestling show and it's you know whoever got new japan at uh copper box and it's will osprey changing a card i'm like uh do i really want to yeah. be in a crowd for that at the moment i'm not really too sure and i think there will be a bit of a hangover from that for for, for a while Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, we, I mean, WWE runs Kingston, and if they said, yeah, we've got, like, you know, AJ against Nakamura at the K-Rock Center next week, I probably wouldn't go. And we haven't had a new case yeah. in a week. But I tend to be on the more conservative end. But all these things, baseball, hockey, soccer, like, I just, I, I don't know when there's going to be the avid concerts, festivals, I don't know when there's going to be the appetite to get together with 40,000 people for something. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real complete change in terms of how we're going to, and, and things that we thought at the start were actually going to be sort of a given that could take place next year. And two big examples that the Olympics and the European football championships that you think actually, if it's like, I don't really see how you can do either of them, especially the European football championships with the different venues and stuff all across Europe. I, I just don't see how that's, uh, I mean, I, I couldn't be more gutted about that because I got allocated all of England's first round games at Wembley in that ticket sale. And obviously, there's really? a fair chance. Oh. Yeah, I did, I did. Yeah. And also, if we'd won the group, I got allocated, uh, second round in Dublin. And that, that would have been, if England won the group, which is questionable, that would have been England versus either Germany, France or Portugal. So, um, in Dublin, yeah. So it's four of us got tickets to pretty much, and also semi-finals as well, not final, which oh. is at Wembley as well. So yeah, this is just one of, one of many. I'm sure there's people that have had round, round the world trips and all sorts of things booked. So I can't think myself too hard done by about that, but yeah, n not good. No. 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 Um, so, how, I just, recently on your on your podcast, you covered a match that I actually when we were originally planning to do this, I w wasn't up to, um, but I feel like I have to mention it now because it's one of the best matches I've ever seen. And I wanted to try and finish the podcast before I came on, but I ran out of time today, so I got to just some of the background, but I didn't get your thoughts. Perhaps it's interesting to get your your thoughts on this. So the Dan Crawford and Doug Furness versus Ken Kibachi. I'm going to butcher this name now. Chishoshi Kikuchi, um, yeah. uh, from from May 25th, 1992. I just thought this is one of the best matches I've ever seen. An incredible tag match. Crowd was just electric. Um, and this is the, this is the most recent one that you guys have covered on, on your uh, the South as Five Star Podcast, which is the Wrestling Observer Match of the Year for 1992. So, what did you think of this one? I mean, th what what a match to cover. This is a brilliant match. Um, I absolutely loved it. I think it's one of the best matches we've done on on the show. Uh, so we've got about 13 or 14 episodes now, and uh, 
This is one of the ones that really holds up. I think you could put it on a card today pretty much and, and not really miss a beat, um, which shows you probably how ahead of its time it was. And the interesting thing is our previous episode, which I don't know if you got a chance to catch or not, is a very similar style match. It's the Steiner, so you've got this like big athletic, you know, jacked Gaijin team against like a very popular babyface Japanese team, in that case, Sasaki and Hase. So it's a very similar formula in, in the Crawford and Furnace match, but it's just a much better, it's a much better match. Um, and it's, it's interesting because Furnace and Crawford, like, their WWF run was so underwhelming that, like, you literally, like, I did some research on them for the show, and there's a WWE video that just says boring tag teams, and it's got two minutes of them. And even in the two minutes, they're doing great moves, and it's exciting, and, I, they, you know, I heard Bruce Pritchard talk about them recently on his show, and he just buried them again. He's like, I didn't see it at all. Like, I didn't understand. You know, Doug, you know, uh, Doug Furness is a nice guy, but, like, I never even saw Phil LaFon, like, what the point of him was. And to me, that they are, like, this great kind of undiscovered, you know, there's guys like Hanson or Steve Williams, and people are like, well, you have to see the Japanese stuff. And I think that might be the case with this tag team, that if people saw the Japanese stuff more, they'd realize just how innovative and exciting they were. I, I completely agree. I mean, you, you, this, this, apart from maybe like the production of it and obviously watching like a, a YouTube version or Daily Motion or whatever it was on, you could, oh, you yeah. could, lift, you could drop this match into anywhere and this would be just as good now. I mean, this, this was, I, I'm, I don't know, I'd just get, get your thoughts. I struggle a little bit with tag matches. So we, I think we, you're aware, but I'm watching, during lockdown, obviously a bit more time, and I've gone back and I've started watching all of the Dave Meltzer five-star matches in history, um, yeah. which has been interesting, though I think I've probably bitten off a little bit more than I can chew, given how many there actually are of these. Um, and also, there's some there's some really random ones towards the start. But there's a lot of All Japan tag matches, especially six-mans, and I find them a little bit difficult from a psychology, psychology sense, because it is literally two two guys in there, absolutely beating the bejesus out of each other for a better word for like five minutes yeah. then they tag they do it against another one they tag do it against another one there isn't any long time I think a two on two match you can have sort of one partner isolated that sort of thing and also the near falls a lot of them are broken up just because someone comes in so I, d- I don't really get them Dave Meltzer obviously is, thinks the opposite because there's quite a lot of those so these, the tag matches overall in the list are tough but then this came out of nowhere and I, I, apart from maybe the Young Bucks and um, Hangman Page and Kenny Omega I can't think of too many tag matches that are even at this level, let alone, you know, you know, better than this, certainly not. I was thinking, I saw the other day, uh, somebody pointing out, I think they made a list of, I can't remember, I think they were doing like a 50 greatest matches ever, like in their estimation, right? And, I mean, obviously, like, that's very, it's impossible, like, you know, none of us got to go see Lutez matches or whatever, and it's almost so hard to compare what he was doing with what people are doing now, but... One of the things they listed was, uh, and they called it perhaps the best American tag match of all time, um, was um, DIY against a revival from ta- Takeover uh, in Toronto a couple of years ago. Oh and yeah, I was yeah. I was at that match, and it is brilliant, and I think it's probably the best match I've ever seen live. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable to see it live, to be part of the crowd with all the near falls and the drama and just. The, 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 the tag psychology, especially on the revival in terms of the double team cheating and stuff they were doing. So for me, I get what you're saying. Like, I think a lot of tags fall into that. A lot of tags fall into the same formula, basically. Um, but I also have the same problem with a lot of the more recent New Japan stuff that Dave loves and that usually wins match of the year among people of the internet. Like, a lot, I love Okada. 
But, like, a lot of Omega stuff with him and Omega stuff generally, I'm just kind of like... I just... You see people kick out of 100 finishers. I don't know. It's just like... that. I get that that's a psychology. It's like this kind of video game, like, super power-up thing. But, like, I prefer, like... You know, the stuff Cody was doing in the past couple of years, like the match, the Cody Dustin match from like two years yeah. ago. Yeah. I just like that a lot more because I like matches that tell some kind of story. And, and I always feel like maybe I'm being unfair because I don't watch New Japan closely enough. And so I'm sure that there's elements of the storytelling I miss. But there are also other people in New Japan, like Suzuki or whatever, who I can tell what they're doing on a psychological level a lot more than I can with some of the, uh, some of the Omega stuff. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the, that, that Okada, the Okada thing for me, um, the prime example of that is the Abushi match in the first night of Wrestle Kingdom. So, mm-hmm. um, Dave, there's, there's a big problem I have with Okada matches is if, if every Okada match is 37 minutes, then the first 20 minutes doesn't really matter because you're never going to get a finish. So yeah. he needs to go in there, beat someone in six minutes, and it'd be a shock to, re- to like kind of refresh it and start it all again. Um, That's and why I, I didn't hate a couple of years ago when they had, was it Goldberg Lesnar? And yes. Goldberg beat him in like a minute and a half. I was like, that's awesome because in, if you like want, I, I kind of, I kind of don't mind you that they book like in old school, like you book wrestling like a sport, right? Which is like what mid South definitely. hundred percent. Yeah. And like occasionally, like just randomly, like Watford's going to beat Manchester City 3-0. And it's like everybody is stunned, but it's like, you know, occasionally Roger Federer loses in the first round. And like that just happens and that makes it like anything can happen. Like how Vince used to do title swaps at house shows every now and then. Anything can happen, right? Um, I don't think they do that enough. And you're right. Like, I think when we started doing the podcast for This Hour Had Five Stars, I mean, you go back and you queue up Flair versus Wyndham or Flair versus Sting, and they're great matches, but you know that when you... It's partly the way that we view them now. I'm putting it on as a video, and I know it's 45 minutes. So I know I've got 30 minutes of stuff that's not going to ultimately matter that much, right? So that's definitely one thing I noticed that... When we watch it, and a lot of people I know watch, I watch New Japan later because I can't get up that early. Um, yeah. You know, that does affect how you're going to view the match, right? Whereas watching it live is a totally different animal. One hundred. It's funny you mentioned about the time that one of one of the random uh, sort of lower version of YouTube Daily Motion, VO, which has got a lot of the All Japan Women stuff, the time was on the screen the whole time you're watching the match and you can't get rid of it um, on when you when you cast it onto the TV. And it's just like, I can't stop looking at this bloody time and I know there's five minutes left. And I, know that, yeah. I know this is not going to be the four and that is a real challenge. But the Okada stuff, I, I think you're absolutely right. There is a Lot to, lot to be said for let's have a quick finish in something and it, and it, it should be sports like and it should, it should be like that and then that reconditions the audience but that match of Ibushi I think uh, Dave Meltzer rated that 5.75 stars and the, the following night's main event the crowd was a million times more into that because of the story of Naito's you know two or three year struggle to get back yeah. to being uh, or to, to become the real centerpiece of the promotion, really. So that that, yeah. that was the big difference for me there. Um, and I agree. I think some of the storyline that that leads me nicely onto something we touched upon with the last time we we um, recorded. But some of these matches around um, 1991 and a few before that makes me really question some of the stuff that happened in the WWF around that time and why it got the rating it did. And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a match out there for you. And I I think this should have been the first WWF five-star match, because as far as I'm concerned, it was an absolute creative masterpiece. I wonder if you can guess, actually. So uh, I'm going to give you a clue. It's from 1991, and I think it was up to that point in terms of complete presentation of uh, what a wrestling match is supposed to be. I think it's the best match they've ever done. Savage Warrior? 100%. Yeah. 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 It's not I mean, gonna be, they're not, they're not going to give it five. I have seen it given five stars 
by other people. Like, I'm pretty sure Scott Keith gave that five stars. Yeah. There's a, there's an app called, I don't know if you've heard of it, oh, it's a big, big over in the States, because I think it's some, some European guys. Oh, I don't know, actually, maybe, I can't think who, there's an app called Grapple, where, um, you can rate matches, basically, and I, and I went on there and gave that five stars recently, and there's a lot of people that rate five stars. I actually think in terms of, the actual match is, is the actual match is just really bloody good. The crowd are into it massively. Yeah. The storylines in it, um, and, and obviously the turn at the end is just, just real perfection. I got 4.25, from David Meltzer that match which is I don't know I struggle but then it is all subjective it is all you know it is one man's opinion at the end of the day isn't it no so, no no I will say that that is objectively a five star match that, yeah. you don't, that, that doesn't match doesn't have everything you want out of pro wrestling in one match I don't know we're watching something different you know what I mean yeah, I, I don't know it's, uh, yeah that's like that's that, that's a perfect match to me um, and it's not the only way to do a five star match but it has it all and, I mean, that's one of the reasons, like, I don't know. I like, yeah, I like storytelling. I like being made to feel something. I, I like th- th- that emotion, which you can get out of limited wrestlers. Um, yeah, I personally it, hate Hulk Hogan, and I never, he never did anything for me, but there's no doubt that, like, what he brought. I have a friend who was, you know, Dick Pietro, I co-host with. Uh, he was there for Rock Hogan, right? And a lot of people hate that match. I- but, like, he was, like, I've never been, and he's gone to tons of heavy metal shows, he's gone to tons of wrestling, right, he's gone to everything. He's, like, I've never heard a crowd like that, ever, at anything, right? I like, can agree like, with him, because I was there as well for like, the sky. Right? And it was, like, they blew the roof off the place. Like, the ability to make people um, feel that God, kind Yeah, of he's a big rock fan. I looked into his eyes uh, next to me, and um, I, looked, I looked into his eyes next to me, and he, literally, his eyes were wide as the crowd around me, where every single person from the, we were right on the bottom, right at the back of the floor, to right up the top was just absolutely losing their mind in Skydome when he hulked up. And it's just like, you know, yeah. any atmosphere of any of can you imagine it was just be, it was beyond you know beyond belief that 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 night. I, I don't even think that broke four stars, but there we go. That's uh, let's see a bit of trivia for you on star ratings. What did you what did you think Steamboat and Savage from WrestleMania three got? Uh, four. I think we gave it. I think we most. I think we mostly gave it five on because you know we rate at the end of the show we re-rate right and whether we think it's a five star match or not. Mm. Rarely it is. I think we gave the one that we were just talking about uh, the Kikuchi and Kobashi match. I think we gave that five, and I think we mm. gave Savage Steamboat five because again it's I don't know to me like I, there's there's other matches I like better and I'm a huge Randy Savage fan. Like if you watch the Savage DVD, I can't remember the first one or the second one that WWE did recently. If you watch the cage match with Million Dollar Man, I like that match better than Savage Steamboat. Again, because to me, it's psychologically better. It's got more heat to it. But um, And I like Savage Warrior better, although technically it's not as good a match. But like that Savage Steamboat match has everything. And for people who are like more of a traditional Dave-style fan and like work rate, like that match was so influential. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I tell it's one of the most really influential good American matches ever, so I don't understand how that doesn't get five. But. Yeah, exactly. I, I think there is a, there is a bit of a grey area there, and I also I tell you another thing for definitely for, for the match, some of the matches that he was at, and it's quite clear actually some of them because there's a random tag match between I think the Fantastic and the Sheep Herders that goes about twelve minutes, and there's double I think it's double DQ or double count. And it's like, there's no way that's a, that that isn't even a three and a half star match. It's not, obviously Dave was there. Yeah, and it's just, it's just, yeah, the beer was flowing, right? Yeah, exactly. A couple months later, he's like, oh shit, I gave that five stars to a (laughs) Bushwhackers match. 
Have you seen it? Have you seen it as you've been going through all these? Oh yeah, I've I've seen all. So I think the only the only there's a couple that are. Um, there's one or two that aren't available. Um, so I think the very first match that he gave um, gave five five stars to is not is a, is a Ric Flair and Hacksaw Butch Reed match from a house show that he was at. Um, and he, that, that isn't available anywhere. Um, but the I think I'm probably about 50 matches. Uh, yeah, probably at least about 50 matches in now. And there was one between Eddie Gilbert and Terry. No, uh, Eddie Gilbert and Mick Foley, Cactus Jack. I, I had to actually stop watching that because. Basically, it was like a, a steady ham at ringside. No, there's actually two matches with Eddie Gilbert. I've had to stop watching. I feel sorry for Eddie Gilbert, but it was Cactus Jack and um, and him in like a uh, like a three stages of hell match where they had three different matches, and it was it was it was fan cam. I, just, I watched the first one. I couldn't watch the second one, and then it was Terry Funk and Eddie Gilbert as well, which was the same thing. And like the, literally, the camera was like falling to the floor and like going in the back of people's heads, and you just couldn't see what was going on. So like, I can't, I can't, you know, I. I yeah. You know, I want to get this as, as 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 close to completed as possible, but I can't um I can't do that. So I'm just looking where I am now. So the last match I watched was um was it was Man- Manami Toyota. My Japanese pronunciation is absolutely horrendous. Manami Toyota and Yamada versus Dynamite Kansai and Miyumi Izaki, which is All Japan Women's from November 26, 1992. There's a lot of matches in 1992. So that's the 51st one on the list. So I'm pretty sure that um, not that match, but those that that four that pairing of teams is uh, the next match we're doing on this hour past five stars. Actually, ah yes, so that I think they be... win the 93 match of the year. Yeah. Yeah, that's April the eleventh, ninety three. From and I'm, but I'm, this is not off the top of my head. I've got a list in front of me. Um, Dream Slam <laughs> is the one, and I, and I think uh, there's one actually. Uh, I don't. There's one coming up where they have the same match between the same four people, and it's got Toyota in it as well, who I've been really impressed with. And I believe they have the same match twice on the same day. Um, so they've got. I, I think they're in a, like a round robin tournament, and they face each other in the final. So it's, I think it's the first time they've ever been um, f- two five star matches on the same with the same people on the same day. I think that's. I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, here we go. So it's um, uh, Hokuto and, and Manami Toyota versus Yamada and Anue. Um So that's that. Yamada is her usual partner, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's coming up at the end of end of December, which is interesting. You know, like Nature Boy Buddy Rogers used to put on a five star match, you know, in Shreveport at 10 a.m. Then he'd have lunch, <laughs> and he'd put on a five star one in New Orleans at one, and then he would then he would take down the ring after. But that was like a different time. In the business. See, you know what's funny about that is that the one that met, again, Dave was there for this, but the one that he, he thought was the first time there was ever a, a six star match. It was, um, it was Steamboat and Ric Flair, and it's, the only footage of it is like this weird corner of the ring, corner of the ring camera angle, um, and on the bottom of the screen, you get, occasionally you get, it flashes up with like, co- like a concierge service. So I'm presume it was filmed for like the, the luxury boxes in this place. And apparently that was a matter somewhere else and according to one of Dave's correspondence they had a, like a four and a half star match after that I must say it was, t- it was tough with uh, oh and in the, towards the end of that footage as well you also get some baseball commentary because I think the person in the box was playing around with like the audio or something so yeah it's- <laughs> uh, but, but without further ado let's uh, we've, got, we've got some really important stuff to talk about during this, this episode of Mid-South Wrestling which is episode 247 on YouTube from June the 3rd 1984 um, so at the desk this week we have Jim Ross and the returning Joel Watts. Is this the first time you've seen uh, Joel uh, at his place at the desk here? What were your thoughts on him? This is my first time uh, seeing Joel Watts, period. I've only ever heard 
still like proud papa like brag about him on other episodes so uh joel uh to use the way donald trump described jeb bush joel is low energy (laughs) joel is not exploding through the screen with charisma you know um and Boyd Pierce, if he doesn't explode with charisma, is at least exploding with sartorial splendor, right? And Joel yeah. just gives you a very flat presentation. Yeah, and Joe, well, actually, he's actually a lot better this week than he was the first couple of weeks. It's, oh, uh, that, that's, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so Ross says that we're going to have an outstanding card with some tremendous competitors. And Joel runs through that we have the Rock and Roll Express, Sonny King, Magnum TA versus Mr. Wrestling 2 for the North American title, Hacksaw Butch Reed, and Buddy Landell in all in action this week. Uh, and then and we're Mark on Reagan's to- twice. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, which is bizarre, actually. We'll, we'll come, we'll come on to that because he was really pushed the first couple of weeks to him and then wasn't at all in this week. Um, so here really is the main talking point of this episode. So Ross says that many of us are aware of Sunshine, who's been through at the hands of Jimmy Garvin and Precious. She's had a nervous breakdown and ultimately been institutionalized. Um, and two weeks ago in Fort Worth, Texas, Mike Von Erich had a match with gorgeous Jim Garvin. Precious got involved and they were ganging up on Mike when Ross describes as a very unusual situation transpired. Um, so this is a bit weird because this is the first time. I, I don't know how, how much of you sort of kept, uh, presumably probably not at all. You have much better things to do with your time than watch Miss South. But, but <laughs> no, I wish I had time to watch more Miss South. Uh, like, but it, this is like, the first time in the episodes I've been watching, which is probably, I guess, about 30 weeks of television now, which makes me die a little bit inside thinking about how many hours. <laughs> I've loved it, to be fair. So I shouldn't say that. Um, so they, they don't, this is not their angle. This is an angle from world class. But there's obviously yeah, I've kept up just it. enough that I was just like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And then, you know, gentleman Chris Adams comes on, who I definitely associate heavily with world class. And so I had no idea, like, that there's this amount of, like, interpromotional cooperation, I guess, yeah, between I th- the Von Erich and Bill Watts, uh, you know, empires here. Yeah, this, this is the first time that I've seen where they've actually used an angle. I think these, I think this, they've appeared at non-televised events, certainly Jim Garvin has, with, with, it, with, with combinations of this, this angle in different matches. But this is, the, yeah, this is pretty full on in terms of bringing this, bringing this to TV. And I don't, I don't know whether this is just a, cause you get, I think this is one of the episodes where it certainly was evident, where you get certain episodes where they're either at the end of a taping or they're just, they're, they're doing a lot of filler stuff and recapping angles. I think this is, this is, like, certainly. Are you saying that because we got two Mark Rogan's matches or whatever? <laughs> yeah, I think we get a really, the, the thing that frustrates me a little bit was when they, they do, they won't show an angle from the previous week in clip form, but they show the whole thing. I think, mm-hmm. if, we're correct. We're, we're getting that with the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express, and they showed pretty far. To be fair, though, if you want to talk about filler, the last time I came on and did a show with you, we got a five-minute uh, video presentation about uh, one of the arenas that they ran. I can't remember when Fort Worth or whatever. That was filler, man. <laughs> Loving shots of arena concourses and stuff. You're well, basically on the, you must, that probably was eight, eight episodes ago. So you, I think you're on the cycle of every you four. Just, you just bring me in. I'm just garbage time on this podcast. You just bring me in when you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, basically. They've been there for 17 hours cutting local promos. Let's bring, let's bring Godzilla on again and we'll, uh, we'll, it's we'll sort it elevate. It's because I can elevate the material, right? You can put Ric Flair in there with anyone and get a three star match. I'm basically the podcast equivalent. 100%. So we then cut to world-class television from Fort Worth with the interviewer Mark Lawrence and gentleman Chris Adams. Uh, and there we have it, the, the soothing sounds of the Queen's English for the very first time in South Wrestling, uh, which is nice to hear. 
<laughs> I always love how British wrestlers are always booked in in North America like they're basically like members of the Windsors or whatever, but they're like almost genuinely like really hard working class people, but they're always like, ooh, hello, your majesty, because in America any English accent is lost. Yeah. Chris Adams, I don't think he was this well spoken, but I could be, I could be doing him a disservice here, but he, he was certainly doing a good job as being an English gentleman here. Um, so... Basically, Mark asked Chris the question that apparently everyone is asking. Who is Stella May and where did she come from and what's she here for? Because she is wild. Um, I have agree- not stopped asking myself those questions ever <laughs> since I experienced Stella May and her energy for the first time when I watched this a week ago. She is quite a woman. Adams agrees that she certainly is wild and adds that Stella May happens to be Sunshine's aunt. She brought her up and taught her everything. And before he explains more, he wants to show us a clip. They then cut to Garvin and Precious attacking Mike Von Erich when a blonde lady in a very 80s pair of jeans jumps into the ring. She takes out Precious with a big windmill slap and then unloads on Garvin. The commentator these, is... are, these are stiff shots. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> these are shots that Big Van Vader would sign off on, or Harley Race. Like, they're legit right hand. I think Stella May thought this is this is legit. This is my this is my under, underlying um, thought on this. I think she really thinks that maybe Precious was her. Um, yeah, maybe uh, maybe Sunshine was her uh, her niece, perhaps. But I don't know. She was. I mean, if she was acting here, this is, she was doing a very good job. Uh, the commentator was hilarious. He's screaming, "Some woman is coming from a ringside seat." Some. <laughs> Yeah, Chris Adams is then in there to calm, calm the situation down. And back to Jim Rossi explains that um, that was Stella May, Precious' aunt. Uh, sorry, Precious' aunt. And uh, she really exploded like a bear in the protection of a cub. And when all of was Ross says, they attempt to interview the lady. And then Ross says, well, perhaps not a lady, as Ross smirks. But apparently her language was like an old-fashioned drill instructor and not in good taste for television. Um and then they've had to bleep an audio and then bleep the audio and freeze some of the pictures. Um, but Ross says they that don't even bleep the audio. What they do is totally bizarre. They freeze the picture and then have her voice behind it, which I have never seen ever in any like form of televised entertainment. And I couldn't understand why they were doing it. Like, was it that she like screwed up the promo the first time, and so they had to get like more material out of her, but she couldn't talk in front of a live camera? Oh, it was just, it was, the, the freezing didn't make any sense at all because she still got everything she said. She basically says, yeah. Stella says, Garvin, you're effing mine. If it takes a truck, if it takes a two by four, buddy, I'm going to wipe your ass back to Florida. And Stella was a good girl until you got your effing hands on her. Her yeah. aunt's going to take care of her and you're not playing with a little girl anymore. I'm really cracky. Like, this is like 11am on a Saturday morning in, in, uh, in Shreveport. Like, this is unbelievable stuff. Um, Chris Adams is back on camera now, looking particularly shifty. I'm not sure that was the emotion he was supposed to be trying to convey here. That's what but I he mean. Says, he never comes off as a gentleman to me at all. He's always shady. He did look really shifty there, didn't he? I don't know. I, like, like he'd been caught out stealing something or something. Perhaps he'd stolen something from Salomon. He didn't want to realise. Um, he says the woman is the woman is crazy and the woman is after you, Garvin. Chris says that he wants to apologise for the actions and the language of Salome, but he can understand why she did it. She brought Sunshine... Sorry, I've, mi- I've mixed up Sunshine and Precious here a few times. So Sunshine is is uh, is Salome's niece. Um, Sunshine, aka Valerie up, and now because of what they've done to her, she's had a nervous breakdown. Salome wants to be Chris's tag team partner, and he and her will wrestle Garvin and Precious any time. He adds that he might just be the person that stops Stella murdering him, which is a bit much, I thought. Um, 
So see, so, I would buy tickets for that today. Yeah. We talked about what we'd go see. I'd go sit in Wembley Stadium with seventy thousand people right now if I could see Stella May work. Do you think maybe it was frozen because it was somebody else talking behind her video? But it sounded like her, like from when she spoke earlier. So I've got two important questions for you. What did you think of this incredible piece? And is it just me that found Stella somewhat attractive? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you've got a different uh, screen resolution on your computer than I do, but she is uh, incredible wrestling television. I can't believe I've never heard of her before. And, uh, yeah, I want to know where this angle went. I want to know if she ever had a match, like what the whole story was here. Well, yeah, this is the place that's funny. I don't know where it was. I just I found this 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 quite incredible. Perhaps I'm, I like I've got a whole like angry southern american sort of mate truck driver yeah truck driver fetish but there, there we go um yeah this, this is really great i thought this, this is uh bizarre but very very entertaining um maybe, so maybe, after, you, have, maybe you have a drill instructor fetish that you need to look into you know yeah, i think that's, that's probably one for a psychologist right there i think definitely <laughs> what, what dark things happen in my my childhood to make me attracted to this uh this terrible woman but there we go um, so after the break, we have Jim Ross and Jim Connor at ringside, and Ross says that if you if you were with us last week, you saw one of the most controversial things ever in Mid South. He says that if after you were reviewing, with us, you're about to see the whole thing again. <laughs> if you were with us, can, uh, if you were with us, go and do something else for the next six or seven minutes. And um, yeah. he says reviewing the tape for a week. Um, what Cornette had, yeah, he says that he reviewed the tape for a whole week. So we let the believe that Ross is literally watching this round the clock, to try and work out what happened. Um, yes. Exactly. So, but fair enough. Good, good journalism, I guess, from Ross I think here. That fits his character, man. He's obviously supposed to be a massive wrestling nerd, you know, and I can relate to that. So, you know, he's voice of the fans. That's a really good point, actually, and I think that's what the commentator should be: is the voice of the, yeah, the, the, the fan in terms of trying to make sense of this and trying to be, you know, the the, the kind of. I guess neutral, but also babyface airing voice, really, I guess, in it, certainly. Um, he says that after reviewing the tape for a week, what Cornette had told him, he had come to Robert Gibson was a blatant lie. And Cornette says, all these people can cheer and scream because this is Mid-South Wrestling. He can see Ross's mouth moving, but he can hear Bill Watts or Grizzly Smith's voice. They all stick together. He isn't from this part of the country, and he is proud of the fact that he is from Kentucky, the place of blue bloods. Blue, blue grass. Where the- yeah, <laughs> well, Cornet is expected. So, um, yeah, the, we then recap the taxi title change from from last week in some detail. Um, what did you think of the angle with the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express and the way they got the tag team titles off here with this uh, this towel or something on it? It was chloroform. They did a chloroform angle, which was weird. Uh, so yeah, I mean, whatever. Uh, I mean, it was over. I got what I'll say was it was over. And I thought Cornette's promo here. I'm not a big Jim Cornette fan, uh, but I thought it was a great promo. And uh, he did the classic heel thing where he told people the truth about the baby faces. When Jim yes. Ross is talking, you do hear Bill Watts' voice. So you know, it's a classic heel move, but also a bit of character work just to come out right and say that. Yeah, definitely. So back at ringside, Ross says that we can see with his own eyes what happened. And if you were in the TV studio, you would have been able to smell it as well. And Cornette says he would always get the last word. He says, Ross, now you, fat face, you stop me when I tell a lie. That match was no DQ, correct? He's right. The winners of the match were, were the Midnight Express, correct? The losers of the match were the Rock and Roll Express, correct? And that's all, that's all fair. No, D, no DQ match, I guess. No, I'm not sure what happens if you 
you know, perhaps a more, I guess a chloroform covered towel is a pretty offensive weapon, but then you could, you know, where do you draw the line, I suppose? And I guess that's the point that Ross is making. I would say, do, you know, I, to me, it's a no DQ match. I'm with Cornette on that one. And, yeah. and that's always the problem with no DQ matches is I always wonder why somebody doesn't bring a baseball bat in and just brain somebody straight up. Well, you know, someone so. should do that and do it right at the start, and that and that's what we talking about earlier on, and that would be a shock factor, and that would be that would be it, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, is he going to do yeah. it again? How do you stop him this week? You know, yeah, exactly. Go on, go on, never tried that. Have, you know, Russo definitely pitched someone bringing a gun to a no DQ match at some point. I would, I would, Russo was the gun. I, I guess was Russo. The the Steve Austin Brian Pillman thing was probably I think Russo I think Russo was involved with that yeah, yeah. With Austin going to Pillman's house yeah I think he was probably consulting at the time so I'm not sure he was chief head but I think I'm sure he was involved with that because that was that was obviously quite an angle um so after the break Ross says at the desk that he enjoys working for Mid South Wrestling but he did not enjoy what just happened um, and they throw to Boyd Pierce he's wearing a lovely powder blue suit um and we have yeah. Dale V. Yeah, very nice suit. And Steve Brinton, and they'll be up against the now former Mid-South Tag Team Champions, the Rock Roll Express. Um, so Ross says, the Rock and Roll Express are fighters with great hearts, and they've just got to regroup because of the people behind them. And um, Watt says that he's spoken to them, and they're ready to go back after those belts. Um, so Gibson hits a great-looking dropkick in this one, and Rock and Roll Express is solid on, tr- on top. Pretty much a squash, uh, and they w- win with their patented job patented double drop kick easy for me to say in 2.35 uh, what do you think of this short Rock and Roll Express match here did, you know did what it had to do uh, you know crowd into it and then letting us know that uh, we're not going to be shifting uh, there's not going to be a different babyface team uh, charging for the titles it's effective television that you get the Rock and Roll Express back in there and winning to kind of keep the chase going yeah, exactly. I think they do that quite well in Mid-South in terms of if someone loses, they do, they do keep them strong by bringing them back with a quick victory, usually the following week. Um, bizarrely, we have a picture showing two lady wrestlers heading into the break with a caption underneath of Sonny King versus Maso Ito. Um, Ross says after break, uh, that, that we was saw, weird. yeah, and he, I think I don't understand that because when we, we came back, he said that Ross said that we saw the women's tag team will be in the, women's tag team champions will be in the area very soon. And Joel adds that they'll be putting the world, those world titles on the line. I, you think if this was a botch, they would clear that up? But I, I don't, I don't know. Who, who knows? So what really, women's belt is it? Like, was there an NWA women's tag belt at the time that was being defended that would have, you know, been at a Mid South House show? I mean, that would be my only guess. Um, possibly, but I, uh, the thing with that is that they didn't. They're, they're sort of affiliated with the NWA, but not a full member, so they would, they, they wouldn't all that often be NWA titles on these shows. I don't yep. think. So, yeah, not, I'm not sure who, who they were. Um, so, Ross goes over another controversial match last week uh, between Mark Reagan and Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Um, and thanks to Shazam, I can confirm that last week Reagan did actually use Thriller to start off with coming out before moving into Billie Jean King as his music, um, which I thought was an excellent mid-80s matchup. He does, from he does that again this week. It's fantastic, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. They they love it. Show the whole thing again of, from last like, week, um, and this is starting to feel like we said earlier on a lot like one of those weeks near the end of a set of tapings where they fill a lot of time by recapping previous angles. Um, or in the case of the Stella May story, things that didn't happen in the promotion. Um, did you have any thoughts on this angle with, with Sonny, um, who I thought his offense was quite rough looking, and Reagan and Reed and Landell here? Sonny King, man. Wow, I've heard by reputation that he wasn't very good, and this is my first real look at him, and he's awful. Uh, his stuff looks terrible. I don't know. I don't. Is this in the kind of like Bill Watts trying to get a JYD clone in 
but you know somebody who's, who's completely not up to the job. Mark Mark Regan, uh I looked up him up because I saw him and I was like, you know, good look, athletic. Like what happened to him? He doesn't seem to have had much of a career. No, he um he's he's around a bit after this, um, but he he didn't have a long run in mid south at all, um, and it was it was a bit odd really in in the sense that he, he I thought he seemed quite you know quite popular in terms of how he was on on these shows that we that we saw, but yeah he didn't he didn't stick around for too long in in mid south. Um, My guess would be it, that like Michael Jackson's lawyers called in on the entrance music and that like killed like eighty percent of his push. Believe it or not, his last match, actually All Japan in 1998, um, versus uh, Gado and G- Gado and Jado as well. So that's uh, an interesting one in terms of his last last of the match. Pro going back to is so random. That yeah, is it really is. So, so going back to 84, he he was around um, for for most of June in um, in Mid South, and then he was in between. Um, Basically, he was a little bit in Southeastern Championship Wrestling um, with the National Wrestling Alliance, which I think I'm not sure Southeastern Wrestling Championship was the no. I was thinking that was the Ole Anderson new new uh, company after Black Saturday, but that's not right. It was that was no Southeastern's was, uh, Fuller territory, I believe. That's yeah, Pensacola, that's uh, Florida Panhandle, yeah. Because Ole Anderson uh, was championship wrestling from Georgia, I think, was that brief one, and then he was back in Memphis in late '84. Um, but then he seemed to have a big, a big gap actually after that Reagan. So I'm not sure um, sort of what happened. And he worked uh, for some of '84, then into '85, and then didn't really do much from '85 into '86. Whereas he did a couple of jo- uh, squash matches in um, in the WWF actually at that point, and then was pretty much all Japan. Few WWF runs, uh, few WWF matches in all Japan again. So yeah, not 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 long for Mid South here. Um, going back to Sonny, he was actually 49 in this clip. Um, Ito had been, uh, so yeah, on the way down really. Ito had been being. But he's not like it, during the match. Jr. is talking about the Sonny King's future, and I'm like, Sonny King's future is drawing Social Security checks, man. He's ancient, <laughs> and uh, and talking about. JR is like on one in this match. He's talking about how there's strife all over America, but it's good that you have Sonny King that can bring people together. And you're like, he is just reaching for anything but the kitchen sink to try and get this guy over. He really is. Um, so Ito had been pushed quite a lot in, initially in Mid-South, but has fallen away somewhat in recent weeks. Um, the two have a decent exchange of punches here, but it soon disintegrates. King tries uh, to throw Ito into the ropes, and he stumbles and hits the back of his head on the bottom rope, which looks awful. Um, King mm-hmm. lands. Two headbutts, and Ito is pinned in 350. Um, Ross goes off on a complete tangent um, after this. this is, ladies and gentlemen, as you see here, Paul Bosch, a great friend of Vice President George Bush, a great wrestling yeah. fan, great friend of Paul. Yeah, and they cut to a picture of the two when advertising the next match between Rankin and Tiamis, which is so weird. Um, what do you think of this? I mean, it's probably not much style, this, but a bit of a mess, really, from these two, sadly. This match is awful, yeah. And and I like uh Yamaseo Ito and uh you know, I think that there's more there's more there than I've seen in the matches we've covered. Like I've seen better from him elsewhere, I think, but yeah, this match is awful. Yeah. But uh, it was interesting, so so apparently, you know, George Bush the first big wrestling fan, we got the shot of him with Paul Bosch, which is hilarious again because it's somebody who's in a, who's running a totally different promotion. And they're just like, you know, the classic wrestling, like whenever you get respect in the straight world, like you got to promote it because it makes everybody look good. Um, you know, we're about to segue into Mr. Wrestling 2. And I don't know if you've covered this on the show before, 
But did you know that Mr. Wrestling 2 was Jimmy Carter's, like, favorite wrestler, and he was, like, a huge fan of his? I didn't know that, actually. How interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. So it got to the point that when Jimmy Carter, you know, because Mr. Wrestling 2's best years in terms of popularity was was in Georgia in the 70s, right? And that's where Jimmy Carter's from. And when Jimmy Carter became president in 76, at some point in the late 70s, he wanted Mr. Wrestling 2 to come to the White House and, like, sit down and visit with him. Now, I got this off Wikipedia, so it's possibly totally apocryphal, but, like, apparently, Mr. Wrestling 2 said, I would love to come visit with you at the White House, Mr. President, but, like, I'm not going to take my mask off. Because, you know, you have oh, to keep wow, it yeah, kayfabe. Yeah. Even when you're DMZ with the most powerful man on earth, you have to keep it kayfabe. But then the Secret Service was like, well, we can't just have, like, a masked dude who we can't see sit down with the President of the United States. That's ridiculous. So they didn't meet, but he did meet with the First Lady Lillian. So, yeah, that is really nuts about Mr. Wrestling 2, but I really like the protecting kayfabe element of you just can't take that can't take that mask off under any circumstances, which is, which is really, really great. Yeah, um, well, I just watched the uh, Dr. D. David Schultz, Dark Side of the Ring. That's the other, we talked about wrestling, I've been watching Corky, I've been watching a lot of those, and, uh, you know, according like, his side of the story is he was willing to protect kayfabe to the point of uh, slapping John Stossel in the face, right, and that, that it cost him his, his, his career. Yeah, yeah. Is that worth watching, that one? Because I've seen, I've seen, I saw the Benoit one, and I watched, I, I kind of lost interest a little bit in the Dino Bravo one, but I've heard some good things about the Stossel one. Stossel one's really good. Yeah, would definitely yeah. recommend. And I'm really looking forward to this week's one was the Herb Abrams UWF one. Ah, uh, yes. Just from reading, I remember the first time I ever heard of it was in Foley's first book, and just everything I've ever read about it is bananas. So I'm really looking forward to checking that one out. Yes. Yeah. I saw the Dino one. I was like, I know this story, but there was actually quite a lot I didn't know. So and the footage is great. So I thought it was worthwhile. Okay, great. Unfortunately, uh, not that it's particularly difficult to find online, but then there's no UK distributor for this show, and it, which which is odd. I, I think the the Damien Abraham show that I don't know if you caught any of those ones where he toured around and saw different different wrestlers. I think it was called was it called the wrestlers something something like that, which I think was also Vice. That was on here, um, probably about a year or so after um, after it actually aired in in Canada and the States, I think. But okay, yeah, this one hasn't. Uh, you'd think it'd be. I, I just. Sometimes you just, it's such a drag trying to actually find the thing in the first place, find a decent version of it and actually trying to get it to play on the television as well. So yeah, I might have to check out that Sosa one. And um, back in terms of this match, this was actually it for Masao Ito in Mid-South in terms of television. He appeared in a couple of cross-promotional events in Houston um, and then left shortly thereafter for Memphis and he stayed there until September and then he joined Ole Anderson's relatively short-lived championship wrestling from Georgia, which we t- touched on earlier. Um, okay which was his reaction to Vince McMahon buying George Championship Wrestling in the 6.05 TBS time sp- slot. Uh, so he, Black uh, what, Saturday situation. Yeah, which is coming soon, actually. Um, so it's, we're, we're only about, I think we're about six weeks out from that at this point. Um, his so, strategy of going back against Titan Sports was to get Matt Oito. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, because I think he was probably just trying to get anyone that was out, out there. So, so Ito worked there until December, and apart from a comeback match for Capital Sports Promotions in Puerto Rico in June 91, that was it for Matt Oito. A promising and interesting character at the start of his run but clearly his push stalled massively and as was customary back then he lost a number of matches on the way out any thoughts on Ito before uh, before we move on here yeah I, I think I'd like to see some of uh, his earlier Mid-South stuff or maybe you know what he was doing before Mid-South I'm not sure because like I like him he's got charisma he's got a good look I mean, it's a pretty stereotyped gimmick but I think he is I think he brings a lot to the table um, beyond stomach claws, and uh, <laughs> it makes sense to me that they because like I was like, wow, he looked like crap in this match with Sonny King, and he didn't get very much in, and he did get jobbed out pretty hard to somebody who's not very impressive. So 
knowing that this is kind of him going out uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's it for Ito. So after the break, we're in the ring for the North American Heavyweight Championship match. Um, we have Magnum CA looking resplendent with what I thought was a pretty good looking title belt. Did you, did you catch this one? I thought it looked in, in the, the scheme of sort of um, territorial wrestling belts. I thought this was a pretty good one. I actually missed it. I didn't get a good look at it. What stood out for you with it? I just, I, I just thought it, it just looked particularly impressive. I mean, you see some of these belts and they're, you know, not very well done. And I just thought this was a decent size, um, good design. I was, just, I was just quite impressed with it. Especially, especially I, I know the, the old NWA title is sort of, I think that's a bit of a, do you have Marmite in Canada actually? Because I was about to use an expression that probably you, you may have made. I know what Marmite is. We, yeah. Uh, you, you have to go to specialty stores here to get it. It's not, it's not something that's in the mainstream of food culture. Here. So, so, if, so we have an expression here. If something's marmite, you either love it or you hate it, and there's nowhere in between. Because marmite is is a bit of a weird uh, spread for bread, really. Though apparently it's very good for hangovers. Um, but yeah, this the, the old NWA World Title Belt I thought was a bit marmite. In I think either, if you grew up around that sort of era, I think you probably loved it. But actually. Right. Pair that with the winged eagle title or the later the big gold bell, it's kind of like night and day for me. But I did quite like this one. Um, there you go. What's your favorite? We'll, we'll, we'll stick on that for a second. What's your favorite world championship belt ever in terms of design? I think I got to go big gold bell. It rules. Oh really? It so good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, I used to also really like um, uh, WWF Intercontinental belt that they had like late '80s, early '90s, like the Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels Intercontinental belt, Mr. Perfect. I thought was really well done. Yeah, I think that's excellent. I mean, I, I think I have to go Winged Eagle, really. I think just, just, um, just because that's the kind of belt I sort of grew up on, and, and that was the kind of savage, and um, finally moving to Austin before they, before they got there. I really, I really do wonder. I, I guess it's there's a there's a question around. Um, they can sell more of these if they change the belts, but you think I. I yeah, I just I I don't mind the WWE title now. Um, but and I had that spinner belt for a long time. You just think actually, surely the old old style titles, which belts, would mean a lot more to people if they brought that brought that back. But yeah, the the, the old the one they had the Attitude Era one wasn't too bad actually either. Actually thinking about it, but then yeah compared with that spinner one that was just just around for like the whole of that cm punk historical title for was with that with that spinner belt which is just a bit bizarre really looking back on it now but um there we go uh so um out comes the two mr wrestlers from the back um in a shot they don't use very often um the two of them appear to be having something of a debate um mr wrestling walks over to boyd pierce and says that within 30 days he's supposed to get his rematch pierce says that it doesn't matter to him and he is going to announce the match that's been signed and uh, mr wrestling says he's going to get grizzly smith and then out of nowhere, Mr. Wrestling 2 attacks Mr. Wrestling. The crowd initially cheers at this, and on the outside, Mr. Wrestling 2 hurls Mr. Wrestling into the ring post. This is a lot of Mr. Wrestling's in the same sentences here, I've noticed. Well, especially since Mr. Wrestling 2 has now become Mr. Wrestling. Yes. And I yeah. don't understand why the, who, the person we're now calling Mr. Wrestling 2 isn't Mr. Wrestling 3, but I figure I probably missed an episode where this was all, like, covered. Yeah, Mr. Wrestling just basically announced one that Mr. Wrestling Two uh, basically announced one day that he is now Mr. Wrestling, and that's how he how he wants to be referred to. Okay. And this new guy, the future Hercules Hernandez, is now. It Mr. is Hercules. Okay, I've watched yeah, way too yeah. much wrestling because I did not know that that was Hercules under the hood. Like I, I'd never been informed of that. But just by looking at like him, his body, and like the way he moves, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Hercules Hernandez. Yeah, and actually. I thought he looked pretty good in some of the some of these bits actually. Um, oh yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I always, I guess, I don't know, we talked about this. I think we did actually about kind of goodwill that some wrestlers or promotions have. Um, and I think he seems to have some bad will again for him for some reason. But I thought he looked fine in these, um, in these exchanges and these matches that I've seen of him so far. You could get a good match out of Hercules in the right situation. I think people maybe really kind of remember like late WWF Hercules, which was really boring. But even yeah. in that era, like Power and Glory were a pretty fun tag team. Uh, and he was yeah. good stuff there. And if you go back earlier, like I watched Mania 2 a few weeks ago, and, and the match he has with Ricky Steamboat is fantastic. In that oh, well, really? I might have to check that out. I remember the one f- for me, that the two that stick out for me, the Power and Glory match with the Rockers at SummerSlam 90 when Shawn Michaels was injured right at the start. Uh, well, I think yeah. he was going in, but they did an injury angle at the start. And also, I thought he had a pretty good one with Jake Roberts at SummerSlam 88 as well, uh, which, which, yeah, uh, that one ring, that one stays in my mind a lot because that's the first WWF VHS tape I ever owned, so I've probably watched that about 100 times. And the other one that I wore out was Summer Sound 90, because that was the first one I was able to record off the television. So, um, I, in fact, I actually broke that VHS. And, and because of the weird way that our, our videos were released back then, they weren't all available at the same time. You had, you had to wait for that. So I don't think I owned that on VHS maybe until... 93, 94, if I had to guess. So I had this tape in my possession and it was just gone for years and years, sadly. Um, so the match starts and Magnum does a great job here after being hurled into what looks like a partially broken top rope to retain his balance to carry on running. Um, this starts really quickly and on the outside, Mr. Wrestling is helped to the back. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 2's offense looks good here, as, we, as we've talked about, and JR says that um, Magnum is in big trouble here earlier on. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 slows the action down with a front face lock before Magnum fights his way out. Um, his comeback is slow with the knee to the gut and Mr. Wrestling 2 follows up with the swinging net breaker. Ross says it's quite obvious that Mr. Wrestling 2 has Magnum very well scouted. Um, there's a big vertical suplex for Mr. Wrestling 2 for the near fall. He then misses a very good looking elbow from the second rope, which I thought, again, I just think Hercules has been so good at this. Um, big backdrop and he hits the belly to belly suplex, but shockingly, Mr. Wrestling 2 kicks out and Magnum collides with the referee who stays down. Um, Mr. Wrestling 2 then throws Magnum over the top rope, which should be a DQ. Mr. Wrestling is then back in there with the object on his knee um, and he takes over on Mr. Wrestling 2. A uh, big knee lift and that takes Mr. Wrestling 2 out of there. Uh, Mr. Wrestling is in there briefly before Magnum deposits him with a drop kick. Wrestling 2 is, this is quite a lot going on here. This is quite difficult to follow, but Wrestling 2 is back in and is hit with another belly to belly suplex and this time gets the pinfall, which I found quite surprising. So the Mr. Wrestling, Mr. Wrestling's are in there after the pin and Mr. Wrestling 2 retreats. Um, so quite a lot going on in this one and I was surprised they actually had Mr. Wrestling 2 losing the circumstances and DQ seemed like it was the way they were going what did yeah, you think this, this kind of match and angle here I was confused like yeah I was expecting to get like a DQ or like a double count out finish you know because I thought that they would be pushing towards uh, you know Mr. Wrestling 2 uh, TA match at some kind of house show you know big blow off and yeah I, I, I don't I had no idea why wrestling and wrestling 2 were fighting with each other so that was hard for me to figure out yeah, and I think the bit that was difficult is, and I think that the the crowd was clearly confused by this, is they didn't know who to cheer in that bit, and yeah, I think that's always exactly. a challenge when you've got, to, I think when you're turning a, I mean presumably one of these turned, I, I doubt they would do heel versus heel matches, and I guess that will become a bit clearer going forward. Yeah, I mean I'm guessing the angle is, is it's supposed to confuse you and you're supposed to want to tune in next week to figure it out, but as you say, in the moment you're just going to get a crappy reaction from the live crowd because they don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, something, exactly. Some, something Vince Russo never really understood when he was booking WCW. Well, and had you know so many, so many like blank reactions to stuff because nobody could follow it. Yeah, I think if you're turning a heel face, you've got to 
you've got to set it up, or the or the heel's got to do something, do something in a babyface way to save yeah. someone or something like that. But that was difficult. And and actually, Mister Wrestling Two, I was just looking, well, because I wondered whether he was or Hercules, I should should say, I wondered whether he was on the way out of Mid South, but he's around for a fair old while after this. So, um, and they do they do do the Mister Wrestling versus Mister Wrestling Two matches um, thereafter around um, around the various house show. Um, Basically, to, house show arenas, and actually, I don't think I'm giving any spoilers away, but it looks like Mr. Wrestling Two got the got the um, got the win in most of those, which is inter- interesting. Actually, funnily enough, by the sixth of I don't know, this is maybe a typo. But by the sixth of July '84, he was being referred to as Hercules Hernandez. Uh, that was a Houston wrestling show, so that's interesting. Whether they that is a change that's coming up, um, and he's actually actually yeah, by the looks of things, actually maybe the. Maybe the character change is, is coming on, so I probably just spoiled that for somebody. So apologies if uh, if that is the case. So um, after the break, we have Hacksaw Butch Reed and Buddy Landell versus Mark Reagan and Mike Jackson. Um, and there's no full Michael Jackson entry for Mr. Reagan this week, sadly. No. Um, which mean, is... How hilarious is it that he's getting paired with a guy named Mike Jackson? Now? Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's nuts, isn't it? That's really really yeah. fun. I would, yeah. I want. As by design, actually, if, if uh, that was um, that gave uh, that's Bill... a rib or something, yeah. yeah, a bit of a lull for Bill Watts there. Um, so Landell is sporting new trunks this week with a huge sparkly star on the back on one side, which I thought were rather nice. Um, and we don't see Reagan in this at all, um, with Reed no. getting the win in two thirty six. And I thought this was really a placement for him, given how popular he was um, in his last two appearances, and and also the, the recap of the angle earlier on. Uh, what did you think about this short encounter here? Well, I mean, I thought that Butch Reed and, and uh, you know, Playboy were going to have to watch out for Mike Jackson's speed, which kept uh, being put over by Jim Ross, yes. even though he's not a super athletic-looking guy. Uh, maybe he has deceptive speed. Um, but he uh, – it was a really fun squash. Uh, you know, Mike Jackson's bouncing all over the place, and uh, the clothesline by Butch Reed right towards the finish is unbelievable. It looks fantastic. So, yeah, Reed uh, Impressive and stuff, really, really, Reed really looks, good. Reed looks really great. So it's, I thought this was a fun squash. I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. So next up, we have Kosha Khrushchev, the TV champion, versus Lanny Poffo, um, mm-hmm. which is the match of the hour, um, which is non-title. Um, Ross reminds us that Dr. Death Steve Williams, the babyface, has stolen Khrushchev's medal, um, which is, again, an interesting use of, of a kind of a stealing a title belt for a face there. Um, but uh, as, but as, as always with Soviets, it was like, whatever you do is fine. Like, if you come down and, yeah. like, you know, wreck Nikolai while he's trying to sing his national anthem, like, technically that's pretty rude. It's like if you watch Rocky Four. Oh my god. Rock- I discussed this on my old podcast that we had before five stars. Rocky Four Drug was basically the baby face. All he does is come over and say he wants a shot at the title and he's looking forward to challenging the best boxers in the world and everyone shows up and just yells at him. Yeah, a hundred percent. I've got such a problem with, with Rocky Four. I really love the Rocky films and a lot of my fr- a lot of my friends I think because of the timing of Rocky Four when that came out, I think that was probably one of the earlier films a lot of my friends in my peer group went to see at the cinema. But actually right. think about it. Rocky, I think the the Rockies are pretty much in order of how good they are. I think it's pretty much one, two, three, and four in that order. Because Rocky Four, as you say, Ivan Drago and especially Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed is such a heel in that. And the, I mean, the, really, there's not there's not too much that Drago really does wrong in that. And the thing I hate more than anything in any of the Rocky films is the crowd in Russia turning on Drago at the end because that would never ever that, 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 that is so unbelievable it's incredible it's incredible that like yeah halfway through the Russian crowd turns <laughs> and goes pro Rocky 
It's amazing. Even Jeff- Vince wouldn't book that for Hogan. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The only the only thing I think Sylvester Stallone must have been on some pretty strong drugs around that time because the, oh, the only. Yeah. Any even worse than that is that between Rocky Four and Rocky Five, um, he just make, basically believes that no one will notice the fact that his son's aged by about eight or nine years, and they've moved house. Even though Rocky Five starts at the end of Rocky Four, and it's just like I just you just want, like that is that is that's pretty much Vince McMahon twenty twenty booking. And so I don't worry about it. No one will remember. Just, oh, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And he is like the biggest mark for himself of all time, right? Like. I don't know if you ever saw, there was like a show that was like uh, a show like The Ultimate Fighter or Tough Enough, but it was with boxers. Uh, I did a few years ago, and Sugar Ray Leonard's on it, and Stallone's on it. And Stallone talks like like Rocky was an actual guy, and he actually (laughs) won multiple heavyweight championships. (laughs) It's like, yo, dude, you played a movie where, you know, guys punched each other in the head. Like, it's a totally different vibe. Was he Coaching tips and stuff to these guys as well. Oh, yeah, he was totally talking like he, but, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, when I'm in the ring, I was like, you want, when you're in the ring shooting a movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds like it could be worth um, trying to get that, if that's still available anyway, and watching some of those episodes after that. But yeah, no, that's a... Uh, comedy, for sure. Definitely. What did you think, uh, we're on a Rocky tangent now, what did you think of the the last one and the, have you seen the, the Creed films they, they brought out? Okay, so I've seen Creed 1 with, uh, you know, with the introducing the story, Michael B. Jordan and stuff. I have not seen the sequel with Drago, but I really want to because I think Creed, the first one, is phenomenal. Yeah. It's I, like yeah, one it's, of the best Rocky films they made easily. It's fantastic. Yeah. Do you know what? I would agree with that. I think that probably might... Uh, Rocky, I really like the Rocky Balboa film, but every time I watch that since I went to see it at the cinema, I liked it a little bit less. And I think it was just, it was a bit of a bit of one where you just really want this to be good and you're, like, you, you, you're really happy that the character's back. But actually, as a film, I think Creed's probably right in there, maybe behind Rocky 2 as, as the best, yeah. in the, I think. Um, yeah. I think the thing with, with Rocky Balboa is it's pretty good and I, there is a big fan push to like get this over the line and make it good but it also after rocky five like my expectations for rocky balboa were super low and i had heard just enough like it's actually pretty good that you know expectations are so crucial with a movie so you go i went in expecting very little so i was like that was pretty good whereas creed i'd actually heard it was very good and it would actually exceeded those expectations yeah, I, I I would recommend the second. Uh, the second Creed film isn't as good as the first one, but it, I think it's still it's still a very very strong film. It's interesting. We, Rocky Balboa is the only film I've ever seen at the cinema twice, and we went to see it the first night, um, not like a premiere or anything, but the first night it was on wide release in Leicester Square in London, and there were people in the crowd dressed up as Rocky, and it's the only time I've ever seen people clap at the film. So it's like die hard. I think I think there's maybe about eight of us met up and met after work in London, went to the pub. And then went to see Rocky. So yeah, we really geeked out that night. So it was, it was that uh, sounds like a good night. Yeah, I think the only <laughs> film I've ever seen twice in the theaters was the original Matrix. Like oh, not counting okay. stuff that like they bring back, and you're like, well, I haven't seen that in 15 years. So you go. Oh um, yeah, cool. Yeah, but people clap in the theaters all the time over here. It sucks. Oh, did they? Did you think see the thing about? Um, so we are on a tangent now. But about the Dave Meltzer. Roman Reigns thing about there was a he got into like this big Twitter war with people because when he went to see Roman Reigns in a film I think with The Rock when he appeared on screen like the the, the, the cinema didn't react all that strongly did you did you see any of this stuff <laughs> no it was, was Dave trying to say that this proves some kind of point yeah oh big time this is probably I can't think when this has been maybe nine oh, uh, this before 
Pet was like, yeah, the people in the cinema didn't react very big for, for Reigns. And, and loads of people were like, well, how did you expect him to react? How do you expect them to react? It's, like, well, it's a movie. They, people aren't going to know who he is. Dave Meltzer was like, when I've been to loads of films where there's been a guest appearance and like the, the crowds, the crowd in the cinema started like clapping and cheering. So I was like, if someone did that in a, in a cinema here, they'd be kicked out. Like, I don't know, like that's just not a thing. But yeah, that was a funny Meltzerism. Well, and it was what. Speaking of cheering in the cinema in the UK, my, 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 my podcast partner, Kim Jordan, swears that he used to live in Scotland, that mm. he lived there around the time Independence Day came out. And he went and saw it a few times in theaters. He loves it. And that uh, British people all started clapping and cheering when they blow up the Eiffel Tower. So. <laughs> God, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me to be completely honest. Um, People don't cheer for guest spots. I've seen movies where there's like a huge guest star in it, or like the Marvel movies when there's like a, a surprise superhero or whatever. People do not clap for that. They clap at the end of the movie. Occasionally, they clap at the start of the movie if you're in for a really annoying experience. But like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think with with Dave with that one, he he just he picked his hill and he was just willing to like just go with it as much he as he dug in. Yeah. He he was in it and he was uh he was defending himself to the hill. Um so back to this match, um basically what says that Lanny has seen his victories and defeats in mid south and it's not been an easy road for him. Um and Joel adds that he likes style and tactics. Um and Lanny is pretty and much a sportsmanship, I believe. I believe Joel likes yeah. that Lanny plays it right down the middle. See, it's so strange because right at the start of the Mr. Wrestling two and Magnum TA angle, Poffo was involved in that and Randy Savage was made a guest appearance by video, and it was looking like actually Magnum and Lanny were Lanny were going to team together. Um, but actually, in the end, that nothing 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 happened with them. So, um, and he's really a glorified jobber now. Um, so Ross is putting over Khrushchev's awesome strength and commentary, and says he's become one of the top contenders in the whole world. Um, and Ross says there are only three minutes left, and um, Watts adds that it would be something of a moral victory if Lanny could survive that time, which just shows how far he's fallen, really. Um, so with 60 seconds of TV time remaining, Khrushchev traps Lanny in a backbreaker for the submission win in 3.37. Um, so pretty much a squash here on poor old Lanny. And what did you think of this one? Uh, yeah, Lanny's selling was pretty funny. It's pretty over the top. And, uh, you know, Khrushchev looks great. Uh, they obviously got big plans for him. Uh, it was random to see, you know, Demolition Axe versus the Genius in Mid-South a few years before its time. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think he's. I think he's been looked. I, he's been looked. Crikey, that's good English. I think he's looked pretty good. <laughs> I was talking about the Queen's, Queen's English earlier on today. Obviously, in this this uh, seamless recording that's all happened in one one go. I was talking about the Queen's English, which I've just butchered there. But yeah, I think he's looked really, really good. Um, so next week we have Steve Doc's Death Williams, and we'll also see the National Heavyweight Champion, um, which is a belt. Armstrong. Yeah, well, I was wondering what what territory is it? Are we talking is this a Georgia belt at the same yeah, time? Yeah, Championship Wrestling. I think it it still exists actually, or it, well, it does still exist actually now because one I had a guest on a, a few weeks back who's been national heavyweight champion. So it's still something that's kind of wound its way through the annals of the the, the differing times of the NWA. But yeah, weird that there's a Georgia Championship Wrestling belt on. Um, Brad Armstrong versus Ted DiBiase, who I've only seen so far in pre tapes and not actually on the show. Um, so I'd be interested to see him here. I think he becomes even even more of a, a focus in the in the coming weeks. Oh, we start... Diviase's about to debut, or Brad Armstrong? Yeah, I mean, he's been in this promotion quite a lot before, but I haven't seen him in the in the time that I I've only seen him on a pre-tape in the time that I've I've been watching. And um, I think he's been in he's certainly been in, in other territories during that time and working. Yeah. And also, 
and stuff in Japan. Uh, but this is a bit of a changing time. So Nikolai Volkov is gone now. Obviously, Masao Ito is gone as well. And they're starting to introduce some, some newer people. Over. I think the Fantastics are due to debut fairly soon as well. So there's some interesting stuff coming up. Um, I thought the introduction of Stella Matt at the start of the show was pretty bizarre, but very entertaining. Um, and aside from the Mr. Wrestling kind of Mr. Wrestling two turning on Mr. Wrestling 1, which is a little bit awkward as they both seem to, seem to stay a heel. And Masao last appearance. This wasn't a super newsworthy episode, albeit enjoyable. What were your final thoughts on the June 3rd, 84 episode of Mid-South Wrestling? I would say it's a lot like our uh, our recording, which was, uh, you know, stitched together, a little herky-jerky, uh, not exactly, uh, you know, seamless start to finish, but very entertaining and enjoyable, hopefully, for the listener. Because, like, it is a bit of a, yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag in terms of what they're throwing at us, but it, pretty much it was all pretty entertaining. I even found the Sonny King match entertaining just because he was so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it, uh, I think it, uh, I think it worked. Um, and, and it shows like the strength of Mid-South or at least how much I enjoy Mid-South that even in an episode where they're not kind of leading with their A stuff and like really moving big stories along, it's still an entertaining, like well-produced hour of TV. So I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. Um, well, you know, might might start dipping in a little more heavily if this is if this is actually where the DiBiase period starts up because I've seen some of his mid south stuff and it's 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 phenomenal, it's great. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about the coming coming episodes. And I'll make sure that I will invite you on in eight episodes time when we've got the end of a taping and there's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks very much. When we get like the Crusher Khrushchev like touring his, uh, you know, Dasha uh, that was actually like you know on a lake in northern Louisiana. Yeah, absolutely right. So before we go, um, how can people uh, find your your podcast? Um, and I have listened to more of the episode about the match that we talked about, and I'm not even going to try and butcher the names of those individuals as well. But it's, it's really great stuff, interesting hearing all the background about the about the match. And there's lots of matches that have been covered. So if, so if you if any of you are out there watching some of these Meltzer matches um, during this lockdown period, I highly recommend the podcast. So so over to you to tell us where we can find it. Yeah, quick plug. This hour has five stars. Uh, every month we review uh, one of the greatest matches uh, as voted by the Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer Newsletter readers. We've gone from 1979. We do them in order to give you like a kind of comprehensive take of the best of wrestling history to uh, just we finished 1992 with uh, Kobashi and Kikuchi against uh, Doug Furness and uh, Dan Crawford, um, yep. which is uh, an unbelievable episode. Uh, I think, I think, sorry, an unbelievable match. I think it's a pretty good episode. Great place to jump in if you're new to the show. Uh, so if you just Google this hour has five stars, wherever you get podcasts, use the number five, uh, you can find us. Also wanted to throw a quick shout out before we're done to a friend of the show, Sparks Third Coast, because I was, uh, you know, previewing my appearance and talking about the legendary Irish McNeil Boys Club from Shreveport, Louisiana. Ah, yes. Yeah. And, uh, he pointed out to me that he visited the site. It did burn down in 2007. Um, and so this historic wrestling venue is not available. I know there are people out there who like to go to some of the classic venues. Um, and Irish McNeil apparently was a boxer on a neighboring Air Force or Army base in the 30s. I looked him up. Seven pro fights, undefeated, uh, and, uh, you know, fighting classic guys uh, with 30s hobo boxer names like Brownie Malone and stuff. So uh, <laughs> thank you to, uh, to this gentleman for uh, showing that. And you can find me on Twitter where uh, you get a lot of wrestling stuff and all the latest news on the episodes and a chance to submit questions for this hour has five stars at God Till, G-O-D-D-T-I-L-L. Fantastic. And the, ne- the next one you're, you guys are going to be looking at is, is one that is coming up for me to watch, actually. So I will we'll be, be listening out with um, 
great interest, which is the Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada versus Dynamite Kansai and Miyumi Izaki match from Dream Slam 2, April the 21st, 1993, which I think I've got. I'm either watching that today or tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to that. So, yeah, I'll be interested well, to hear. Definitely, what, uh, yeah. send, and send in a question. Um, we'll get into it on air because we are taping it next week. It's our first women's match. It's our first Joshi match. So, uh, yeah, we're all really excited to be covering this one. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I've loved the All Japan Women's stuff. It's been, in fact, I, I, I've, I, the, um, my favorite match of the, all of the 80s ones so far is an All Japan Women's match. Um, though I think so far the, the tag team match we just talked about is my, is my, my one for the 90s, but there's so many matches still to get through in terms of 90s that I think that's, I mean, it probably will be up there, but there's a lot still to, still to go. I'm sure some of the big title matches in All Japan and New Japan are going to be, um, knocking on the door as well. Um, I, I tell you, when you get to that Akira Hukudo match, uh, versus, uh, uh, Kambari, I think her name is, it is, it is unbelievable. One of my favorite matches of all time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. Thank you so much your time and as I say we'll do this again in eight weeks at the end of that, yeah. end of that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way Stephen thanks a lot cheers speak to you again thank you thank you very much for listening to this week's episode if you've enjoyed the podcast please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five star review which would absolutely make my day if you're interested in guest hosting please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments, and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.